I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Hey, lurkers, welcome to episode 52. This week we are going to be covering a well-known alien close encounter. And while it's well-known, it wasn't a story that I personally was 100% familiar with. I'm not really sure where I stand in my beliefs on this incident. I can say that I went into this highly skeptical, and after my research, while I'm not entirely sold, I am not as skeptical as I was when I started out. What we're going to be talking about is the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. When I refer to Kelly Hopkinsville, that's not a name. Kelly is a town in Kentucky, and Hopkinsville is also a town in Kentucky. The incident happened kind of in the area of both of these towns. So let's get started. It was the evening of August 21st, 1955, near Kelly and Hopkinsville in Christian County, Kentucky. Kelly and Hopkinsville is located in the southwestern area of the state, about 20 miles north of Tennessee. On the night of August 21st, eight adults and four children were gathered at the farmhouse of Glennie Lankford. The farmhouse was an unpainted three-room house without running water, telephone, radio, TV, or books. Those present in the house that night included Glennie Lankford, her children Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, and her two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer Lucky Sutton, John Charlie or J.C. Sutton, their wives Vera and Arlene, Arlene's brother O.P. Baker, and Billy Ray Taylor and his wife June. The Taylors, Billy Ray and June, along with Lucky Sutton and his wife Vera, were carnival workers and visiting the home. Around 7 p.m. on Sunday, the group had finished their dinner and were settling in to play a game of cards. Billy Ray Taylor went outside to get a bucket of water from the well. While he was outside, he saw a strange object in the sky. The object was silvery. In his words, real bright, with exhaust all the colors of the rainbow. It was egg-shaped and appeared to be about the size of a number two wash tub. I looked up a number two wash tub, just in case. Uh, Most people don't use wash tubs these days as a description of size. So a number two wash tub holds 15 gallons, is about 11 inches high with the top diameter of 22 inches and the bottom diameter is around 18 and a half or 19. Not very big. The object moved silently towards the house, passed over it, stopped in the air, then dropped straight to the ground in a field about a quarter of a mile from the house. Billy Ray recalled that there hadn't been an explosion just hissing noises as the object landed. He went inside and told the others what he had seen, but they didn't take him seriously. 
They all thought he was pranking them because Billy Ray and Lucky were known pranksters. But Billy Ray was genuinely bothered by what he saw, despite everyone saying it was just a shooting star. Billy Ray asked his wife if she believed him. But when asked, she and the rest of the group broke out in fits of laughter. About an hour later, the farm dogs began barking incessantly. Lucky and Billy Ray went outside to see what was going on. Billy Ray pointed out where he had seen the strange object. The two men turned to head back to the card game when they saw a strange glow coming towards them from the woods behind the house. They then realized that in the midst of the glow, there was a small humanoid creature that was floating rather than walking in their direction. Its arms were raised as though it was surrendering. The men yelled and ran into the house. Around this same time, a neighbor who lived about a quarter of a mile to the north of the Sutton farm noticed the strange lights over at the farm, but assumed that they must be out searching for an escaped pig. Inside, Glennie Langford didn't understand all the commotion. She had lived there for decades, and nothing strange had ever happened. Not wanting the younger children upset by the talk of otherworldly goblins, she sent them to bed. In the meantime, the two terrified men grabbed guns. They fired at the little man they had seen as it approached the back door. The men said that the creature did a flip, scrambled upright, then fled into the darkness. Shortly after, they saw a similar creature appear in a side window and fired through the window screen. Seemingly impervious to bullets, the thing did a flip, then disappeared. Another creature showed up outside the screen door, and Billy Ray shot at it through the screen. He went outside to look to see if it had been hit, and one of the creatures reached down from the roof with its clawed hand and grabbed at Taylor touching his hair. The adult screamed and pulled Taylor back inside. Lucky Sutton, armed with a single-barrel 12-gauge shotgun, stepped out and shot the little man off the roof. The shot knocked the strange creature down, but apparently didn't harm him. A pair of glowing eyes and a set of talons appeared in the living room window, and J.C. shot at it through the glass with a 20-gauge shotgun which was followed by a bullet fired by Billy Ray. The creature was hit, and it did a backflip and took off running. Glennie, who was a highly religious woman, started praying, concerned perhaps the things were sent by the devil himself. The kids woke up at this point. How could they not? There's gunshots all over the place. And Lucky sent the kids and the women to a back room to hide. Glennie stayed because she wanted another look. The creatures they saw were about three and a half feet tall, had oversized heads that were nearly perfectly round. The arms extended almost to the ground, and their hands had talons. Their oversized eyes glowed with a yellowish light. Their bodies gave off an eerie shimmer in the darkness, as though it was made of a silver metal. Billy Ray and Lucky surveyed the front yard, while the other two men and Glenny waited inside. Someone yelled to look up in the maple tree. Look up in the maple tree! And this time everyone could see one of the creatures on a branch above them. Billy Ray and Lucky shot at it, but instead of falling, it floated off. 
The noise they heard when they fired at another one coming around the corner sounded like bullets hitting metal. It, too, floated away. Realizing the gunshots were useless, they retreated into the house. Inside, the group tried to collect their thoughts. What were these things? Goblins? Devils? Were their raised hands a sign of innocent intent? If they didn't mean any harm, why did they keep coming back after being shot? The creatures were walking towards the rear of the house, and in a moment the little men were all over the place. There were about fifteen of the little men in the yard, on the roof, and in the trees. When Lucky and Billy Ray shot at the group of men, the whole group ended up fleeing the scene. Things quieted down, but then the little men came back. In the course of about three hours, the strange fellows made six visits to the farmhouse. Each time, they were run off by Lucky Sutton's shotgun or his brother's twenty-two pistol. John Sutton said he fired four boxes of twenty-two cartridges, which is about two hundred rounds, at the creatures, but they had no effect, actually ricocheting off the little men like they would off of a steel plate. The creatures made no apparent attempts to harm the earth folk other than the one grab at Billy Ray Taylor. They uttered not a sound, and when they jumped from the roof or the trees, they did not make a sound when they landed on the ground. The creatures were further described as being shiny, like chrome all over, with slick, bald heads, big eyes, and pointed ears. Their faces were like skin stretched over a skull. Mrs. Langford only caught a glimpse of one of those shiny things, she said, I went out in the hallway and crouched down next to Billy when I saw one approaching the door. It looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was shimmering bright metal like on my refrigerator. Mrs. Taylor was so scared she hid in the house and didn't see them at all. At about 10.45, the whole group loaded up into two cars and sped off to the Hopkinsville Police Department, where they ran into the police station with their story. The sergeant working the front desk didn't know what to say to the large group of people who piled into the police station before midnight. We need help, one of them gasped. We've been fighting them for nearly four hours. The officer phoned Chief Russell Greenwell. Greenwell later told an investigator that these aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help. What they do is reach for their guns. Yet there they were, women and children, hysterical, and one of the men with a pulse of 140 beats per minute, measured on sight by an investigator. The men and the two Sutton women returned to the scene with the officers, while the other two women and the children waited at the police station. All of them said they did not intend to stay the rest of the night in the house. After the local police chief called for backup, he and his men were joined at the Sutton Farm by state police, military police from nearby Fort Campbell, and a photographer from the Kentucky New Era, the local newspaper. Within an hour, 15 law enforcement and media members converged on the farm. The farm was searched with flashlights, but no sign of the little men were found. Investigators found shell casings from the gunshots and holes in the windows and screens. 
The ground beneath the area where Lucky had shot one of the alleged beings appeared to have been stained with something that gave off an iridescent sheen when viewed from an angle. No other evidence was found. They also did not find any evidence of heavy drinking, and according to Glennie Langford, liquor was not allowed in her house. The family members were questioned separately, but they all had the same consistent account of the night's events. After hours of investigation, the police left. Everyone returned to the home, but at about 3 a.m., the creatures returned. Mrs. Langford said she repeatedly saw one glowing by her bedside window. Its claw-like hand would rest on the screen. She called out to Lucky, and he and Billy Ray kept watch with their guns for the remainder of the night. The creatures left just before daybreak, and the family would never see them again. The next day, Monday, police investigators returned to the farmhouse, searching for evidence of a saucer landing, footprints, blood trails, or scratch marks on the roof. They found nothing. The neighbor who reported seeing the lights at the farm also said he heard the gunshots that night, but he assumed they were dealing with a predator, possibly a bobcat, attacking the livestock. A local radio station employee interviewed the family, was impressed by their remarkable specificity and consistency in their accounts, even though the men were away from the farmhouse all day and not able to coordinate stories with the others. That Monday, the farm was also jammed with sightseers and neighbors. The family was plagued with looky-loos and this disgusted Lucky Sutton, who said if the men came back, I'm not going to let anyone know about it. Monday and Tuesday, the Suttons put up no trespassing signs. Then they put up signs for a 50-cent admission fee to enter the property, a dollar for information, and ten dollars for taking photos. After that, skeptics blasted them for being fortune seekers, and any remaining goodwill towards the family diminished. Neighbors grew cold, and ten, li- ten days later, the Suttons left Kelly for good. The local police never had anything to say about the events. There was one local officer by the, ne- by the name of Frank Dudas, who was a city police desk sergeant not on duty that night and who had not been at the scene. He said, I think the whole story is entirely possible. I know I saw the saucers. If I saw them, the Kelly story could certainly be true. Sergeant Dudas was one of two city policemen who reported seeing three flying saucers early one morning the summer before. Glennie Langford said, The lies they told about us, they said that we were drinking. Glennie didn't allow alcohol or even cursing on her property, and the Suttons were known as a very quiet and trustworthy family. The remaining survivors of the encounters refused to talk about the incident and this incident brought about the term Little Green Men. While the creatures seen at the Sutton Farm were called Little Men or Little Silver Men, another report of a large green creature ended up being combined with this encounter, and the newspaper used the term Little Green Men. So what happened that night on the farm? The first thought in rural Kentucky was too much moonshine. That honestly was my first thought, 
when I brought up this story to uh, other people, that was their first thought. Probably too much moonshine or a bad batch of moonshine. But in researching, I kept reading that Glennie Langford was known to not allow drinking alcohol, not only just in the house, but anywhere on her property. People consistently said this. It wasn't just Glennie Langford. It was her friends, her neighbors, other people in the community said the same thing. That's what she was known for. Also, the desk sergeant who first encountered the family at the police station said no one appeared to be inebriated. Further, investigators at the house said they found no evidence of drinking or of alcohol at all. The direct quote was that all officials agreed that there was no drinking involved. So that's it. Official stance, nobody was drinking. Drinking is not an option here. Did not happen. Another theory is that the family mistook some angry great horned owls for aliens, and that's what caused all this ruckus. Again, this was a theory that I thought was probable, until I started researching and thinking critically. One of the descriptions mentions that the eyes of the creatures were wide-set, about six inches apart. Owls do not have wide-set eyes. Not even kind of. Also, great horned owls do not have any kind of coloring or pattern that could be mistaken for eyes. The creatures had yellowish glowing eyes. If we assume that they are talking about eye shine, most owls reportedly have reddish-orange eye shine. Also, seeing eye shine requires that a light be shined at the owl or the animal. There is no mention of any lights being used. In fact, the only light mentioned was the light that came from the creatures who glowed. Owls don't glow, in case you weren't sure. Another part of the owl theory is that the owls can be aggressive when defending a nest or territory. Great horned owls lay eggs once per year in January and February. This incident happened in August, so there is no nest of young to defend. Great horned owls are also solitary and would not be in a large group, so there's no explanation for the number of creatures that were seen. There would be no more than two owls together. Also, if defending their territory the investigators would, in theory, also be attacked. And one more point. It was suggested that the glow was the reflection of moonlight on the owl's feathers. I looked up the moon phase that night. You can. You can type in a date and go back and check the moon phase. It was a waxing crescent, which is the phase after a new moon. It was only at about 15% illumination. I don't really think that's enough to make owls glow so brightly the neighbor a quarter of a mile away can see it. The incident eventually attracted the attention of the Air Force program called Project Blue Book. Documents suggest that its team never officially pursued the matter beyond checking in with their counterparts, the MPs from Fort Campbell, who had been on the scene briefly the first night. The most in-depth investigation on the incident was done by Isabel Davis. She felt none of the explanations, hoax, group hallucination, 
publicity stunt, owls, etc. made sense. Davis's opinion of Glennie Langford was that she was a somber, no-nonsense woman who abhorred the limelight and had no reason to lie. None of the witnesses had any history of making preposterous allegations. Another interesting point is that the incident happened along Latitude 37 North, which is said to be a location of high-frequency UFO sightings and other anomalies. The Latitude 37 North runs through the southern borders of Utah, Colorado, and Kentucky, and the northern borders of Arizona, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. You might recognize some of those states as locations of some crazy stuff, like Skinwalker Ranch from Episode 9 and 10, and the Phoenix Lights in Episode 14. And let's not forget Roswell. So as I mentioned, I'm still on the fence with this one. I believe that something happened that night. I don't buy into any of the explanations that have been proposed so far. No alcohol. I don't think anyone would carry a prank out to the degree that involved law enforcement. It's not owls, and the family moved because of the attention and ridicule they were receiving. So the thought that they did this as a publicity stunt doesn't seem very feasible. But it's so fantastic that I can't quite get to the point of being able to suspend disbelief and say, yes, it was, in fact, Little Shiny Men. There's a song in there somewhere. I know it. Is it Shiny Happy People? I don't know. So what do you think? Send me an email and let me know, or start a discussion on one of our social media platforms. That's going to do it for this episode. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform or at lurkpodcast.com where you can find all the episodes along with links to our social media. If you haven't already, give us a follow. If you have any suggestions for topics or you want to share an opinion on an episode, you can drop us a line at lurkpodcast at yahoo.com. We have merch at the lurk at lurkpodcastmerch.com. I just added a new Bigfoot-inspired design just in time to get some ordered for June 18th, which is the East Coast Bigfoot Research Organization. They are having their convention, their Bigfoot convention in Staunton, Virginia. Lurk will be there vending, so we'll have some t-shirts, and this new design will be one of them. If you happen to be in the area, consider stopping by and saying hello and getting a t-shirt. So that's going to do it, and until next time, keep lurking. Look up in the maple tree!